we practice awareness in order to grow in understanding. And we grow in understanding, and we grow in wisdom, or we grow in understanding correctly by facing the way things are and coming to know the way things are and learning how to live in harmony or alignment with them. It involves discovering and looking at repeatedly often very difficult, unpleasant, and challenging uh, situations in our life. If we only review again and again and again all the pleasant, good things in our life, the mind doesn't grow. The mind doesn't expand. The mind doesn't learn a new way of dealing with anything. It's as if we would go to the first grade, and after finishing first grade and having a summer break, you go back to the first grade. And you learn the last 20% of what you didn't learn the first time through, or you learn most of it. And after another year of school, getting increasingly bored, you had another summer break, and then you went back to the first grade. You'd learn the last remaining bits, but you'd be bored most of the time, and you'd stop growing. But you'd know that first grade material pretty good. Well, it's as if, if we did the same thing in our life, we would go over the same events in our life. We would meet the same, we would meet situations in our life the same way, making the same mistake over and over again, and not learning. And so awareness is to look and to see. How is it happening that this isn't working for me? Whether it's in relationship to others, in relationship to yourself, your mind, your body, the whole human experience. And so, as we discover, as we just pay attention, we will discover the sources of tension, dissatisfaction, uh, struggle, stress in our life. And we get a chance to, to see them again and again and again until we finally accept, oh, this is the way it is, and this is a skillful way of dealing with it or relating to it. And that is through understanding fully what is going on there and being able to choose a skillful response rather than be impelled into an emotional reaction. We all have our reason for coming to practice. It's our aspiration. And for some of us, it's just to get out of the house for a week. <laughs> Maybe. And for myself, on the fir my first retreat, I thought I was going on a holiday so much for holidays. <laughs> but as we continue to practice, and we look and we see what's going on, and we see the benefit, or we see the work that's required and the benefit from it, 
we refine our aspiration. We, we get clearer what it is we're doing here, and we refine our, the direction we're going, we refine our practice, we refine our understanding, and it is a cyclically progressive growth in clarity, commitment, energy, faith, understanding. It's not possible to get quickly. It's just not. Anything you can get that quickly, you can lose just as quickly. But wisdom, or right understanding, skillful understanding, is such that once you know it, how are you going to forget? You'd have to practice delusion just as hard as you've been practicing awareness. <laughs> there are people who do. <laughs> In order to forget how not to suffer. What we think about practice, what we think about ourselves, what we think about the possibilities of practice, or what they might be, influences dramatically how we will practice. Because these thoughts are in the back of our mind, guiding our efforts here. What you think practice is all about is here with you. It motivating you, guiding you, uh, commenting on your practice and how it's going. What you think you can or can be accomplished through practice is here in the hall, kind of encouraging, discouraging, commenting on how you're doing. And so to, to have useful support in our practice, it is necessary to acquire some knowledge about the practice, to acquire some understanding from books, other teachers, students, other people who have, who have entered upon this path in life of awakening, or this path of practice of mindfulness, and to to begin to understand, to begin to fill in some of the, the gaps as to well, what, what's it all about. We give Dharma talks like this so that it will introduce you to the range of the teachings of the Buddha. Hopefully it will uh, clarify any misunderstandings or uh, false beliefs you have about practice and what meditation is. Uh, hopefully it will inspire you with some, some stories of possibilities and others along the way. But this is just knowledge. It's other people's understanding other people's experiences. It's helpful, but it's not the work. No matter how much you read and how much you think about what you read, it doesn't transform the heart in the way that 
awareness and understanding, insight, does and can. So we want to be open to the teachings, but understand that they are not adequate to transform the, the heart as the Buddha acknowledged as possible. So I want to um, just acknowledge that the Buddha spent lifetimes and uh, perfecting the knowledge of liberation, what it, what it means to be liberated. And in his teachings, he, living at the time, 25, 2600 years ago in India, where there was this tremendous uh, interest in and discussion among all kinds of interested folks about the nature of the human condition and existence and liberation and what's it all about. And so there's a very refined language that the Buddha's teachings are recorded in, kept in. And that language is not easily translated into English because that language was developed to talk about the mind and the nature of the mind and the functions of the mind in across the whole spectrum of mental activity and inactivity. English speaking people have not don't have that experience for the most part. Cannot have not developed the English language to recognize and to discover and to speak about these activities of mind. And so we use the, the best we got, the best English approximation along with our own experiences and put it out. So we talk about uh, a defilement being wanting. Wanting or desire is being a defilement. But what if you want and desire something wholesome? You know, you want someone to be free of suffering. Wanting the English language doesn't, well, we've already assigned that to the defilement class. How are we going to talk about? So you come to practice, and you want to get the benefit of practice. You, you, you want it. You desire to, to get enlightened, or, well, how about just be mindful? <laughs> you, know, you desire that. You want that. But then again, is that unwholesome, unskillful wanting? No. So let's clarify that. We, we're, maybe we're aspiring to be mindful and, and awakened. Aspiration feels a little more wholesome than wanting and desiring, which we've already assigned to the unwholesome category. So we run into this, these, these problems. One of, the, one of the words that is um, a challenge for English is, is knowing. You know, we, we know, we understand, we see, we observe, we recognize, we perceive. What are we talking about? We're mindful of. What are we, what are we talking about? Well, I want, to try to, I want to try to sort this out a little bit. In 
Buddhist understanding of mind. The mind has a wide range of functions, but the nature of mind is to know. That's what the mind does, it knows. We call that vinyana, vinyana. Vinyana knowing is just sensory cognition. That's it. It's stupid. It doesn't know what it knows. It doesn't value what it knows. It doesn't uh, conceptualize what it knows. It just knows. The eyes see. That's it. You want to make sense of what you see? You've got to do another process. So we say the mind is knowing all the time. But as we're very aware of now, we don't always know what the mind knows. We're not always aware of what the mind knows. But the mind is knowing something all the time. A sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, a thought, or a concept. It's always present, happening, day and night. Even when you sleep, even when you dream, when you daydream, when you're spaced out and don't know, the mind is still knowing something. On and on. It keeps this whole process going. There's no wisdom in this knowing. There's no defilement in this knowing. There's just knowing. Okay. There's another function of mind which we sometimes refer to as knowing or recognizing, which is kind of like knowing. But this is perception, sanya. It is the ability of the mind to distinguish or to recognize, to see what is unique about this experience as opposed to that experience. You know, you look at two apples, they look just alike, almost. You know, it is perception, it's sanya that can tell you the difference between them. One's a little bit this, a little bit that. Da, 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 da. For the most part, our world that we live in is so familiar, we don't see the functioning of perception. It just happens. You look out in the room and you see people and floors and walls and ceilings and, and you recognize that there's somebody up front speaking and there's plants on either side of them. Did anybody not recognize that? It's, it's, it's our consensual reality. It's we've, we've all agreed that this is what's happening here. Only occasionally, if you're paying close attention, can you see the mind's activity constructing this whole reality. One of you here, I don't remember who, was telling me that they were out the other morning, walking. Came to the end of a walk, you know, walking down, down the road. Came to the walk and, and just saw in front of them something they, they didn't recognize. Just the pattern of light in front of them. And just couldn't, couldn't make sense of it. Didn't, you know, he was just kind of watching and watching. And, you know, and he saw his mind going... <laughs> Because the mind didn't have a ready concept to just stamp on it. He could see the mind activity of perception trying to recognize what was being known by the mind. Occasionally, I remember a couple years ago I was sitting, sitting right here and coming out of a kind of a, or in the middle of a sitting, I recognized a noise. I recognized it was a noise. And my mind spent the rest of the sitting trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> Is that a truck? Is that an air conditioner? Is that a vacuum cleaner? What? Never did find out. I couldn't stop it. 
This is an automatic functioning of the mind. It does this. The mind does it. It's not wholesome. It's not unwholesome. It's just what the mind does. We're not trying to stop the mind from doing what it does. We're not trying to uh, somehow stop the mind from knowing or stop the mind from recognizing anything. This is what the mind does. This is the natural functioning of the mind. Again, sanya or this recognition doesn't place a value on what it recognizes. That is done by panya. Panya is the knowing of skillfulness or unskillfulness of an experience. Something happens, you notice something, you, you know something, you recognize something. Is it skillful or unskillful? Meaning, does it cause you pain or suffering or others pain or suffering to do this, to act on this? Panya is wisdom, or it's the understanding of an object, understanding of what the mind knows, skillfully. It understands it rightly. It interprets and adds value to what is known by the mind. If there's wisdom in the mind, if we see things and we see them correctly and we understand, oh, this leads to suffering or this doesn't lead to suffering, then we have wisdom. Hopefully, as we just observe our mind and body going through life, we will come to recognize, we'll come to know suffering, what's suffering, what's not suffering. We'll come to understand how that happens and we'll begin to have the wisdom to pick and choose the way to respond to the conditions of life rather than get caught in an unskillful, reactive pattern. Well, that's all we're doing, really. Practicing so as to develop this right understanding, meaning knowing whether something leads to suffering or not. I'll give you an example. You take a beautiful tree, walk out in the forest, find the biggest beautiful tree you can find. But you have along with you a forester, an environmentalist, the property owner, the developer who's going to be developing that piece of property, the person who saws up logs into uh, lumber, and you have a builder. And they're all looking at this tree. They all see the same thing, shape and color. Right? They all see the same thing. That, there it is, shape and color. Their perception of what they see is colored by what's in their mind. So the environmentalist sees a symbol of the old growth Mother Nature forest. The developer sees either a tree that's in the way or an opportunity to enhance the neighborhood with an old growth tree. The person who runs a sawmill says, wow, that's a big log. Man, I, I wonder what size board I should cut out of that. You know, if I cut big boards, I get more per square foot. You know, and the forester says, that tree is mature, it's time to come down uh, to make room for all the baby seedlings underneath it. And they're all seeing, they're all recognizing their conditioning, or I should say they're recognizing what's seen through the lens of their prior conditioning. Okay. Now, wisdom. Where does wisdom come in? 
Wisdom arrives at the decision of what to do with this tree. I say wisdom or delusion. Depends on, well, your conditioning. So each individual understands the value of that tree conditioned by their knowledge, their thought, and their experience. The, the builder you know, sees it with attachment and says, wow, there's a whole house in that tree. The uh, sawmill operator, he sees it with uh, kind of curiosity as to just how he's going to manage it in his little sawmill. The, uh, all of them see it from some angle of delusion, not having the full picture of what they're seeing. The, uh, you know, the, the developer doesn't see a symbol of Mother Nature and old growth forests, just sees a tree in the way of where the road's supposed to go. Wisdom or delusion from your perspective? Well, you know, there really is no fixed answer, is there? But something, some things that are done to that tree are going to cause suffering and some aren't. It's only from the meditator's point of view, the person who's able to see the tree from all those perspectives is the right decision in relationship to that tree going to emerge. That's what we do. We're looking at the situations in our life, a tree. And from one angle, it looks like a problem. From another angle, it looks like an opportunity. From a third angle, it looks like my mother. From <laughs> From another angle, it's, you know, what I read in the book. And we see the situations of our life from many different perspectives. If we only look once, we only see one perspective, and we think, that's the way it is. But we keep looking. We don't react. We don't get caught. We see it from another perspective. In time, we'll see it from every possible perspective. Only then do we really know what's going on. And only then can the decision of how to respond to it without causing oneself or other suffering, can that decision be made. That's why we say, try to observe how the mind deals with a difficult situation as often as you can from as many different angles as possible. Once you've developed an understanding of how the mind works in this situation, wisdom will naturally begin to do its work. And next time you're faced with a similar difficult situation, wisdom will prevent you from reacting in an unskillful way. Wisdom knows what to do. If our attitude in practice is to get rid of all the difficult, painful, challenging, unpleasant things that have come up, we'll never develop wisdom. We can get rid of, we can get rid of unpleasant thing. You should get up and leave the hall. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind, gone. You don't learn anything. And so sometimes we just have to stay there with, and looking at it again and again and again and again and again. And slowly it begins to dawn on us how it is we're misperceiving, misunderstanding, and therefore suffering.
Now, meditation is the work of the mind. It's not the posture. You can sit, stand, lie down, stand on your head, kneel. It's not what posture you're in. You can walk fast, you can walk slow, you can walk in circles, you can walk backwards. The mind is always there. You can't go faster than the mind. You can't sit in a way to kind of get rid of the mind or fix the mind or make the mind better. There's always something being known. How you are observing it, that's the work of the mind. That's what we're paying attention to. Somebody asked a question today about energy. You know, when we think of energy, mostly we think of physical energy. You know, you've got the energy to, to move the body around in a certain way. You've got the energy to, to run, to, to walk, to lift. To do. We're not talking about that kind of energy. Yes, we need a certain amount of energy to be up and about and awake. And, but the energy we're talking about is mental energy, the energy of the mind. What is this energy that we're talking about? Well, it's the energy to observe the mind. What is the mind doing? What is the mind knowing? How is the mind relating to what is being known? We can only know that by observing our own mind. That's not formulaic. There's no formula, there's no technique, there's no kind of mechanical, hypnotic way to do that. It requires full presence each moment. But it, it's not that difficult, really. So we just look at, well, what is being known? Well, you know, the body's in this posture. It feels this temperature. It's listening to these words. It understands or not. It's interested or bored. It's, that's the mind. That's what it's doing. That's all we have to do is just pay attention. What is the mind doing? What is the mind knowing? How is the mind knowing? But if we don't have the right understanding that this is what practice is, and we have a wrong attitude towards our practice, we will try to make something happen. We'll try to avoid something from happening. We'll try to create an experience that we've heard is good meditation, or that we might have had before. This is squeezing the mind. This is making the mind do some, we can do it. We, we can, we can, we've learned how to make the mind do a lot for whatever reason. We can sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day we can do all kinds of things. We can concentrate on the breath, just, or try to, for hours and hours and hours a day. And sometimes we get successful for a few minutes, you know, and then come back and we can do that. But in insight practice, we're asking ourselves, what's going on? We're not asking ourselves, can I stay with a breath for a day, or a week, or a lifetime? We're saying, what's going on? How, am I relate how, how is the mind relating to it? Is it causing suffering or not? That's all. And as we keep looking again and again and again, we'll, we'll discover a lot. 
it, is, it sometimes involves just waiting. Today, someone came in to talk about their experience. They said, you know, it's really, uh, there's, there's a lot of time when nothing's happening. Well, that's what it seems like. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that nothing's happening? Sometimes it involves just waiting. Waiting until you recognize, oh, this is what's happening. Nothing. <laughs> oh, oh, and there's knowing of that. Oh, knowing is happening. The knowing capacity of the mind is unbelievable. It never stops knowing. There's always something being known. Always. It would be wrong to expect things to be like they were last retreat, to anticipate something familiar, to try to create some experience, to try to avoid some experience, to try to control the mind from doing this or, or control it to do that. It is equally un skillful, unnecessary to judge and evaluate what is being known. Eventually, if you pay attention, everything is going to be known. Everything. Everything in the body and everything in the mind. Pleasant, unpleasant, subtle, gross, you know, wholesome and unwholesome is going to be known. Why do we pick and choose? We think one thing is better to know than another. We think, oh, the breath at the nostrils is better to know than the pain in the knee. <laughs> it's just an object. It's in the knowing that we either have wisdom or not. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Whether it's a chosen object, a predominant object, or a random object. Internal, physical, internal, mental, or external. Doesn't matter. How are you knowing? Is it being known? How's it being known? What's your relationship to it? This is where we, this is where we learn how we suffer, how we create our suffering. So when I say keep an eye on things, I mean keep an eye on what is being known. Keep an eye on whether knowing, whether there's awareness of it. And keep an eye on how you're doing in the awareness practice. The object itself, not so important. It's going to change. You've known many things today. Which one was best? We know which one was pleasant. We know which one we like the most. We know which ones we don't like, which ones are unpleasant. But which one led to the most understanding? More often than not, it's a difficult, challenging things. You bear with them, you spend time with them, you learn a lot about yourself. In practice, we talk about the objects that are to be known in, in meditation. And as I just mentioned, anything can be known. Everything can be known. But primarily, we're looking at and observing the mind and body. Experiences in the body, experiences in the mind. We can stay distracted with other experiences out there. Other people, other ideas, and sounds, and sights, and smells. 
I don't want to say it's just a distraction, but it's mostly concept. What you see out there is mostly concept. What you can experience in here is mostly real. So when we say we observe the body and mind, we want to be careful not to assume that it's my body and my mind, something unique, but rather what we observe is the nature of the body, the nature of the mind, the nature of mental activity. We look awfully different externally. We have different clothes, different size, different shape, different behaviors, different words, different interests. But inside, in the functioning of the mind, not much different. We all have experienced the full range of emotions. We all experience desire and fear and jealousy and anger and disappointment, depression and despair at some point in our life. We all experience pain and pleasure and uh, you know, trembling and pulsing and contraction and stress on the body. All of these things arise due to causes and conditions mostly out of your control. It's just a natural functioning of the body the natural unfolding of the mind. We suffer when we make it personal. My body, my mind. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my body. There's something wrong with my mind. If you told your story of what you're observing to anyone else in the room who's practicing, they've been there, they've done that. What makes it so special for you? Sometimes that is a little, hey, I want my own experience. Go ahead. You can own it. You can claim it. You can, but you'll suffer. It is so, in, in some ways, the unfolding of what's going on in the body and the unfolding of what's going on in the mind is just nature. It's just the natural effect of causes and conditions vast in their reach that we, well, we just don't understand fully. But as we pay attention again and again and again to what's going on, we begin to see some of the causes and conditions. We begin to understand how it is we, that, that things happen the way they happen. We begin to decipher the code of the natural order of things in the body and in the mind. Nevertheless, we still need to think about what we're experiencing. We need to think about it intelligently. You know, we, we see these experiences. We observe what's going on in the mind and body. If we think about it intelligently, we will come to the conclusion we're not making it happen. We would choose differently. If we could make our body do what we want it to, none of us would experience pain, ever or tiredness either. But you can tell your mind to do that. You can tell your body to do that. It doesn't listen. You can't do that. That's not, that's not your power, so to speak. It's a natural unfolding of mind to, to observe. So why do we blame ourselves when we get tired in the sitting, when we experience pain? Why do we, when we can't bear with the pain, why do we get frustrated and disappointed and angry at ourselves? Think about that. 
think about that. Think about it intelligently. That is, well, to be polite, that's stupid. Nevertheless, we do. We're so identified with this body and this mind that we think it's mine that when things like that happen that we judge to be bad or you know, some, some fault of mine, we suffer. If you think, I am frustrated, how does it make you feel? Well, frustrated and, you know, kind of responsible and, you know, you can't get what you want. If we're very identified with it, we can't see it. It's very, it's challenging to go from, I'm so frustrated to, hmm, knowing the nature of frustration is happening. Hmm. This is the nature of frustration. But if you reformat, if you re reframe your experience into what is being known is the nature of frustration, you'd be surprised how, how much you can bear it and how much you can observe it without suffering. Oh, it's just, this is the nature of frustration. This is the nature of fear. Yogi came in today to talk about experience and no names, but I hope I have permission to use this story. Uh, she says, uh, woke up in the middle of the night from a terrorizing dream. Extreme fear. Just unbelievable. Normally at home with a dream like that, she'd wake up by somebody else in the house to get some comfort or go for a walk, have a cup of tea, get and something. Couldn't do it here. Couldn't get up, couldn't go for a walk, couldn't wake anybody up. Fear. Well, you know, Luckily, she remembered the instruction. I guess I just got to be with it. This is terrorizing fear. I mean, not just some kind of like, oh, it's dark. So she's laying there, and she's feeling fear. So she, she goes to the body, and she, she just pays attention. Well, what is going on here? After a few minutes of kind of putting the story aside, she realized, oh, the body's just tingling. The body's tingling. You know, it's tingling. So then... She, she went to the area of the heart, and it took some time to kind of calm, the, calm it all down. She went to the area of the heart, and she was feeling it. And I, I sensed that she was a little bit kind of like, I don't know, not really ashamed, but a little bit surprised and kind of embarrassed almost to tell me what she discovered, that it was very spacious and peaceful there around the heart. Very spacious people. This is fear. How, how did that happen? Well, we have an idea. We have an idea. We have a concept of fear in our mind. We have a story that keeps it going. But when we actually look at it and see what this experience is, we kind of step out of it. Like, it's not I'm afraid, but now I'm looking at this thing called fear, or just fear is being known. Oh, what is it? Well, it's tingling in the body, spaciousness around the heart, and great peace in the mind. <laughs> Hello? This is how we let go. This, this is how you let go of wrong understanding. We, we're, we're just riddled with wrong understanding in the mind. The mind is just full of wrong understanding. Things we've been told, things that we've experienced, things we're still hanging on to. Misconceptions. How are we going to free ourselves? How are we going to free the mind from fear, from feeling unsafe, from shame, 
from you name it. Pick your, pick your, pick your poison. Only by having the courage to just say, let me take a look at this. Let me just see, really, what is going on here. From this understanding that it's not me, it's not mine, it's not who I am. This is the nature of the mind. This is the nature of this emotion. This is the nature of the body. And in this way, it's not that we can intentionally let go of our fear, but we can see through the illusion of what we think fear is and any other emotion that causes you suffering. This kind of knowledge, well, you've heard me say it, but if you have fear in your heart, you still have fear, even though I've told you it's not, it's not what you think. Because each one of us has to, to do it on our, in our own time with, with, I say, our own mind or with the awareness that we have and look at this, this, this thing that we experience and see, it's not me. It's the nature of the mind. It's the nature of the body. It is so freeing. And you can see from that story, you can see how freeing it would be to see the end of fear. There are many objects to fear. You can fear snakes. You can fear the dark. You can fear other people. You can fear public speaking. You can fear all kinds of things. Fear, 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 fear. But imagine that you've seen the end of fear one time. You followed it, you've been with it, you've seen it dissolve into tingling spaciousness and peace. Now what are you going to fear? It doesn't matter what comes up. It's not the object that's the problem, it's you're relating to it. If you're relating to it with fear, you've got a problem. If you're relating to it as spaciousness, peace and tingling, the scariest thing in the world can appear in front of you or come into your mind. Tingling, spaciousness, and peace. You've seen one fear to the end. You've seen all fears to the end. And so too with every other uh, experience, every other emotional block, every other emotional baggage that we're carrying around. Once the, once the mind knows the path to the end of fear, then that track is available to the mind. And if every time you experience fear, you go down that track again, you just keep following it, following it again and again and again. Eventually, that's the pattern in the mind. That's the understanding in the mind. As soon as fear arises, you know. Nothing to fear. Scary thing arises, nothing to fear. Same with every other emotion that we experience. This idea is really important in your meditation. The understanding that it is the nature of the mind, the nature of mental functioning, and the nature of the body that's being observed. And it can be seen through all of our misconceptions. It encourages us to do just that, to just look at this that we're so identified with in a very not cruel and not distant way, but a very dispassionate way with, with objective uh, reality. <clears throat> our awareness is to learn how to just observe what's going on rather than participate in it. If we jump into the fear, I'm afraid. If we observe it, we see fear is being known.
What you observe, as I said, not so important. How you observe, very important. What you observe often provokes a reaction in the mind. Attachment, aversion, confusion, whatever. That obscures the clear observation of what it is you're looking at. So that has to be looked at. How you are relating to what arises. It can be the breath at the nostrils, the breath at the belly, the breath at the belly. It can be a sound, a sight. It doesn't matter. The object that's being known can be anything. It will be everything, eventually. How the mind is knowing it and how the mind is reacting to it, that's what's important. So we can see that this uh, practice of awareness takes some learning. You know, we need to learn how to do this because, well, we have a lot of wrong learning in the mind. We have a lot of uh, family conditioning, cultural conditioning, ethnic conditioning, religious conditioning. We just have a ton of conditioning in the mind that causes us to see the world and the situations in the world as we do, some of which consistently leads to suffering. And we only have to look at the world to see that this is true worldwide. It's our responsibility, each one of us, responsibility to, to do the work of confronting that conditioning and getting in touch with reality in order to free the mind, free the heart from suffering and the causes of suffering. And this is how you do it. Learning how to, um, ha- how to, how to have the courage to, to, to accept this is what life is offering right now and opening to it, observing it, and understanding it clearly that it's not me, it's not mine, it's not who I am, it's nothing to fear, it's nothing to get attached to. It arises, and here we get into insight wisdom, insight knowledge. It arises due to conditions, it lasts for a while, and it leaves. Everything we have ever experienced has come to an end. Everything we ever will experience will come to an end. What can we hold on to? Oh, only ideas. Only ideas, wrong ideas we hold on to. And they distort what we see in the future. Insight is to see things correctly, to see things with the right understanding so that we're not struggling with it. We're not kind of... uh, entangled in it. The work of awareness is just to know. Okay? Awareness knows. But it's wisdom that understands. Wisdom understands, is this skillful or is this unskillful? Does this lead to suffering or does this lead to freedom? Mindfulness and awareness just knows. Wisdom understands. What do we understand? What does the mind understand? What does the mind need to understand in order to be free? Well, first is that actions have consequences. 
how you see and react to the events in your life plants powerful seeds in the mind of your future experiences. If you see correctly and, and, and act uh, or respond with wisdom, you'll have one future. If you see wrongly and you react emotionally, you'll have a very different future. We can see that. Pay attention. Pay really close attention. You don't have to go read a book. You don't have to go very far. All you can do is sit still and watch your relationship to pain. Just watch that over and over and over again. Eventually, you'll, you'll, you'll learn how to see it correctly and not suffer. <clears throat> Another thing that we need to, or that we will come to understand, or that wisdom will, will recognize is that all that's happening in every moment is something being known. Something being known. Every moment, something is being known. Mental, physical, emotional, interior, exterior. That's all that's happening. <clears throat> if we want to step back and make a, uh, a speculative metaphysics out of that, well, that's been done for centuries. And there's just dozens of very elaborate metaphysical explanations of what is going on and why. But when you take a phenomenological approach where you just observe what is being known in one moment, one instant, all you'll ever see is something being known. Mind and body. Wow. That really cuts through a whole lot of ideas about what's going on here whether it's social ideas or spiritual ideas or economic ideas or political ideas. It's just something being known, moment after moment. It sounds kind of reductionistic, but from that reductionistic kind of view, you can arrive at profoundly liberating understanding. And that, if we practice enough, is what our aspiration will be, liberating the mind. Liberating the mind from its wrong understanding in order not to suffer. <clears throat> Insight means to see things clearly, to see things extraordinarily, not just to see things kind of superficially or from an ordinary perspective. Yeah, we start there with awareness, mindfulness. But insight sees deeply into the inherent nature of things, the objects being known and the knowing. So insight is into the objects being known and the process of knowing, the mind and the body. The objective of insight is to know the truth or the true nature of things. Understanding is the goal. Peace and happiness is the result. If we really understand this is the way it is, in the body, in the mind, and therefore externally, if we really know and have seen over and over and over again, this is the way it is, this is what leads to suffering, this is what leads to not suffering, we will choose, I say we, wisdom will choose to stop suffering. Wisdom anticipates consequences. 
makes choices to avoid suffering. Even in, in spite of ourselves. I mean, we know, you know, that smoking is bad and overeating is bad. And we, we know all these things, you know, from, from others' knowledge. And yet, almost all of us have habits. Habits that we're so identified with, we make decisions consistently contrary to our own best interest. It's not, it's not acquiring knowledge that's going to free the mind. It's acquiring insight and deep understanding because you experience it, because the mind experiences it and understands it correctly. Books, they can tell you, but they can't free you. Cannot. It's the work. It's doing the work of uh, coming to know your own limitations and going beyond them and realizing that beyond is beyond you. Whatever sense of yourself uh, you're coming from is limited because the mind is vast. It's, it's, it's just so uh, much more than any sense of ourself can ever hold. So this sense of ourself, whatever you think it is, whatever you think of yourself, however you conceive of yourself, is just a small piece of what's possible to experience and know through awareness. Imagine that. And it's available. The thing is, this mind is available. You know, as Manindra said, you want to know your mind? Sit down and take a look. And you'll see it. That's what you see, the mind. This is the journey we're on, this journey of discovery, this uh, fantastic opportunity to explore the universe within this, within this body and mind. And the amazing thing is, nobody can stop you. Nobody can put up any roadblock to stop you from doing this. Your mind is with you all the time. <laughs> it only takes, you know, the clarity of the aspiration, the continuity of the, you know, observing, and the, the, the recognition of what you understand. It's a fantastic journey. I mean, you're all here. And many of you have been back many, many times. <clears throat> Why? Because somewhere in the mind, we know this is what we're doing. This is the journey. Even though we, we still struggle with our own self-imposed limitations, and we struggle with our own judgments, and we struggle with our knee pain. Yeah, well, that's so we can learn. And we will, as we pay attention, we learn. <clears throat> Through insight and, and wise understanding, we move into alignment with the way things are, the natural order of things both external and internal. And when we move into alignment, we stop struggling. When you stop struggling, 
everything falls into peace. Not pieces, peace. <laughs> In conclusion, I'd like to uh, read what Saito Utejaniya says about practice. When your understanding of the true nature of things grows, your values in life will change. When your values change, your priorities change as well. And through such understanding, you will naturally practice more. And this will help you to do well in life. So let's just sit for a moment. Let the words settle down. <clears throat> 